0: So our first reading this morning is from Matthew. And it's Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life is not life more important than food? And is the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, "Well, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good
1: morning. 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 That chorus reminded me of a a minister I heard some years ago in the States who said that he had uh, been invited to this one church to speak, and as he got up to the platform to speak there on the lectern, was the scripture, Sir, we would see Jesus. And I thought, of all the things that you need to be reminded of when you come to speak, it's that, if I do anything else this morning, it's I'd, I'd love you to be able to see Jesus in a fresh and new way. Father, we commit this time to you, this word to you, this study together on your the prayer you taught your disciples, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and that we would see you in your ways. oh Jesus, we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, I did ask to preach on the portion of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And that is subtitled it Lessons in Provision from the Heart of God. Now, if you had asked me a few years ago, maybe about 30 years ago, I think I would have felt much more able to preach on this subject. Back then I would have had a 28-inch waist instead of the 38-inch waist. Now, I don't worry much about provision because I've got a lot of the fat of the land that I can live off of for a while. But it reminded me First of all, of this, um, the story of the two businessmen who hadn't set foot inside of the door of a church for years, and the one businessman was coming up to retirement, and he said to his friend, he said, "I, I think I might just go back to church." And the other guy looked at him in horror. and He said, "You go to church?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." I was thinking. Of it. He said, "Why?" He said, "I bet you couldn't even say the Lord's Prayer." He said, "Yeah, yes, I could." He said, "All right then, let me hear it." The first businessman said, uh, 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 "Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul." <laughs> and the first businessman said, "Shucks, I thought I had you there for a minute." <laughs> Whether we know it well, or whether we don't know it so well, it's a prayer that has been at the heart of Christian worship for centuries, and perhaps for that reason alone it's worth looking at each, uh, every few years as a, as a Christian. It's really not, as we describe it, the Lord's Prayer. I think it, a better title actually would be the Disciples' Prayer because it's the prayer that the Lord wanted us to look at as his disciples and gave us as his disciples to use and to pray as an outline for our life together. It begins with two yours, if you will. Um, Our Father, or yours, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. So the beginning of the prayer is all about worship toward the Lord and turning to him. So it begins with worship and direction toward the Father. And then in this particular clause in the prayer, the focus changes to our. Give us this day our daily bread. And it goes on. With many more of the uses, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who are indebted to us, and so on. And before it returns at the end with our additional ending that isn't in the Scripture, yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. And I often pray now when I pray it through that with that emphasis. So. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is that first us section. Now, one of the problems with a prayer like this is that we can... To use the, the language of the skit earlier, we can miss the blooming of these. <laughs> I, I remember when we were living in London, we had a house with a very narrow, uh, small uh, garden, we wouldn't even call it a garden, just a bit of earth between the pavement and the front of the house. And there was a privet hedge that had just been put up there and it was quite overgrown when we moved in. So the first thing I did was trim it quite a bit, but uh, my wife was never happy with it. And she kept saying, why don't we just dig it up and get rid of it? And I thought, well, yes, but uh, first of all, to get rid of it is a lot of work. <laughs> and I just had enough on my plate. And so one week when I was away at summer camp, a bit like this, uh, with our young people from the church and I was pastoring there in North London, She got a friend in for us who cut the whole thing down and dug it out. And and he said, won't your husband be upset when he comes back? And she said, oh no, he won't even notice it. (laughs) And of course she was absolutely right because I came back exhausted uh, late in the afternoon with all the packing and the camping gear and my son with me in tow and we walked right past the whole thing and I didn't even notice it. And I think sometimes we can be that way when we we look at the Lord's prayer together. We don't know, notice the blooming obvious. And here's the blooming obvious. It's give us. It isn't give me. How do we pray it? I think most often we pray it in our hearts, give me today my daily bread. Thank you very much. But that's not the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It was give us this day our our daily bread. There's a significant point here. If a Christian goes hungry or lacks the essentials for survival, is it his problem, her problem, or is it our problem? Is it God failing to meet his or her need? Or is it the church failing to what, to do what God has called us to do? Failing to to do what God is to give when God has provided enough for all his family and we are not distributing it well. And I'm not just thinking about this church family alone, but his Christian family family in the earth. What obligation do we have? Oh, well, should we give to fair trade? Should we give to tear fund? Should we give to those agencies and Christian organizations that help the poor because we're charitable? No, because we are part of the answer to our own prayer. Give us, as your people, our daily bread. Well, I grew up in Kansas, and there were two things in my childhood that were very common. If it wasn't the growing season, that if it was summer, late summer, autumn, winter, we didn't have fresh vegetables, the only thing we had were tinned vegetables, and I can remember as a child when frozen vegetables first arrived, and, oh, they tasted so much better. (laughs) The other thing I can remember is that we only had one kind of bread. It was white bread that uh, was sliced uh, in a cellophane wrapper that was probably at least three days old by the time it arrived to the grocery store. Uh, And I didn't really care for bread. And so when I thought about give us this day our daily bread, I would say, why? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really care for it. It was when we came first, when my family for the first time moved to to Germany for a year and my father taught in uh, North Germany, that I finally began to realize there is such a thing as fresh baked bread and it really does taste quite good. Um, It isn't that God is really trying to uh, underwrite the baking industry, it's really when He says, Pray. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread. And he's saying, give us this day our daily necessities. Um, I realized there was a charity called Bread for the World. And Bread for the World was a charity which really simply said meant food for the world. So you might say simply, if you're asking, um, God isn't saying give us this day our daily bread. He's saying give us today the food that we need. That's what he's teaching us. To pray. For some of us, it might be something entirely different. Give us enough to eat is sort of the modern equivalent. Now, if you were a Jew, back to the blooming obvious, if you were a Jew in the time of Jesus and somebody said to you, let's pray, give us today our daily bread, what thought would come to your mind? In your history. Any ideas? Manna. Exactly. Exactly. Because in the wilderness journey, they were fed every day with manna. Now, there were two principles of that. First one was, it was enough for every day, except for the Sabbath. They got twice as much the day before to cover the Sabbath day. And also, if they collected more than they needed, it spoiled. So there was a sense in which the daily bread was enough for them. And it wasn't this. And, and God taught His people in that wilderness journey not to hoard, not to squander, not to take more than they needed, but to just use the necessities. Now the problem we find, I think, in our world is that we are losing the distinction between needs and wants. If I'm a good advertiser and I'm trying to sell you my product, I don't tell you, oh, would you want this? I try to get you to understand that you have got the habit, you need it. And it was interesting because my daughter uh, was up in Liverpool talking with her friends. She lives up there now. And she said, Dad, I realized you taught us something very important when we were growing up. And I said, Oh, what was that? She said, You taught us the difference between needs and wants. And I said, How did we do that? And well, she said, Well, you practice at Christmas time. Well, our practice at Christmas time was that each child got two gifts. One, something they needed, socks or underwear or something like that, (laughs) and something they wanted. And she said, when you did that, you taught us there was a difference between things you need and things you want. And she said, I've grown up with that, so I realized that most of my peers don't have that distinction in their lives. And she said, I'm really grateful for that. I think when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're also being called back to think about necessities, to, to, be, to live simpler lifestyles and to be able to uh, consider others. The problem is, we have so much, we don't need to ask. I mean, have you ever really needed to pray? Enough to eat in the last 20 years? I haven't. So we don't ask, do we? And actually, this little simple statement give us today our daily bread is a challenge for us not to take God for granted. In fact, God warned his people back in Deuteronomy when they were just about to enter the promised land. He said this, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good he has given you, the good land he has given you. Be careful. That you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands and his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty, waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your father had never known, fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. So, lesson number one in praying give us this day our daily bread is do not forget to be grateful to God for his provision. When we start looking at what we have we don't need to ask anymore because God has blessed us. Pretty soon we start forgetting he's the one who's provided it in the first place. And we find ourselves uh, being confident in our own ability or worrying about our own ability and forgetting who it is who we belong to. Give us this daily bread may need to change in our thinking so that we are constantly aware that it is you, Lord, who enables us to earn and to have enough. So maybe we should be praying, thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability to eat well and to be satisfied. Now my parents grew up during the Great Depression and they had enough, but they saw others who didn't. Uh, my uncle, my father's brother, who remained in, in Germany, suffered much, much more during that time. And, and I would say they had an understanding that hard work and intelligence and commitment really did bring about a level of prosperity. But they also recognized, because of the circumstances of their lives, that hard work and diligence and intelligence in other settings did not. My mother was born in China and her parents were missionaries there for a number of years and she would remember the times of those hard-working Chinese people. <coughs> Who, had, who were intelligent and committed and who starved because of, there was famine in the land. And my, my uncle, my father's brother, suffered after World War II and we sent care packages to them from America at that time because they simply could not get the food they needed to provide for their families. We need to be grateful when we have these things. And not just assume it's our own hand and our own skill that have allowed us to have them. Now, in these days, investments are a real concern to us. At a half a percent interest on our investments, we don't make much return for pensions. And um, we can panic and worry about the future. Give us this day our daily bread. Some things are even kind of hardwired into us. I think, well, I know there are people in my own counseling experience who find trust much easier, and there are other people who find trust really, really hard, and who are seemingly hardwired to worry. And uh, it is a difference, you know. Some person can have a very meager pension, and they're grateful for what God's provided. And other people have a meager pension and they worry all the time. They can even have a good pension and worry all the time about whether it's going to be enough. What's the difference? Well, I submit to you that first of all, the difference is trusting God and being grateful for his provision. Growing up the way I did with my, my father passing away when I was 12 and my mother when I was 18, one of the things that really, really uh, I struggled with was trusting God for provision. And, you know, there's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing entirely to feel it in your gut. And it's, you know, when, when my kids struggle once in a while with finances and they share those things with me as a parent... You know, I help them out at times, lend a bit of money so they can get back on top of things, or say, like we did to our younger daughter, before, come back and live with us for a couple of years and get your foot on the ground again and get off. And, and, you know, we love to do that. When you don't have parents living to go back to, you end up feeling very, very alone. And the worry about where the provision is going to come from can grow. And then when I was uh, here uh, for about 15 years, I was a part of a charity called Scripture Gift Mission. Now it's called LifeWords. And and one of the things that was true about LifeWords is they'd never sent out campaigns for funding. They trusted God's provision for finance. They would occasionally make needs known, but there was no plea for fundraising or emotional hard sell. And When things were not coming in and the needs were there, we would gather together for prayer as a trustee board and we would see God act again and again and again. And I found that living and walking with those men and women on the trustees board who had faith for God's provision helped me to catch something that I needed. To catch a spirit of faith, of trust in God's provision that I, hadn't, that I had lost in my childhood upbringing. Our cr- Christian life is so often about learning to trust God and to trust Him not just, as I said, for our wants, but first of all to be able to trust Him for our needs. There's a kind of bottom line thinking that I go about. I could remember years ago when we were first married and my wife and I occasionally joke with each other, Oh, if you keep that up I'll have to divorce you. And I would laugh and she would laugh and one day I said that and God quickened me in my spirit and he said, would you? I said, no, Lord, I'd never divorce her. He said, then don't joke about it. And I put it as a bottom line. Bottom line. It's not something to laugh about, not something to tease about. Well, I come to the same conclusion about trusting God for our needs. I think he wants us to live with a bottom line that our needs will be provided by our God. That he is trustworthy. That's a word I think he wants, that's sort of the normal Christian life. Now that needs to be understood in the context that we're part of the church. So sometimes perhaps my supply might be inadequate, but our supply is adequate enough to meet all of our needs and that God will meet my needs because he is rich in his glory and in his provision. We're also in a world where mammon is worshipped. And we hardly notice it. But Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money, or mammon. And this simple request for daily bread is actually a rejection of idolatry. It's a declaration of dependence. I, Lord, trust you, not mammon. I'm not going to live for money. I recognize that the love of money can draw me away from you. And the looking to money to provide my security can take me away from looking to you for my security and my provision. In effect, praying, give us this day our daily bread, is praying in an act of worship. I bow before you, Lord, as my provision, not before the God of money. Our world serves. There's another principle in Ephesians 4 that I want to bring to you yet, which is this principle of learning, of earning for the sake of others. In chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have a little bit extra to help himself when he's in a tough time. Is that what it says? No. Have you seen this before? It says, He who stole must steal no longer, but must get some work and earn some money in order that he has enough for himself and a bit more to share with those who are in need. Have you ever thought that your going to work was in part so that you could have something to share with others who are in need? That's what God challenges us to. Give us this day our daily bread is a prayer, in effect, to say, and Lord, show us how to live in such a way that we reserve something of our own earnings for those who are in need. We're not meant to live on the edge of our means. We're meant to live within somewhere within the edges so that we have a bit extra that isn't for us, but that is for others. Now, a tithe is a principle of that, but I think it's more than a tithe. I think God asked us to be able to give a tithe to the church and to the work of the kingdom. But then in our own private lives, we need to reserve extra for those who are in need, because that's how God would have us live. Yes, there's a provision, a principle of provision for our own children. Not to provide for our own household, Paul says, is to deny the faith. And one of the difficulties we have in our modern society is how are our kids going to be able to afford houses? (laughs) What it cost me to buy a house in terms of my income, compared to what it costs my children to try to get something, is just ungodly. Um, should the church, should the Christian community somehow be involved in that? And we've got this horrible problem here in Horsham where people grew up in our community, when they get their education and they start earning money, can't afford to live here. So they go somewhere else. And the church itself loses a whole generation because we can't help our own children to live in our own community. Something is wrong there. And I believe God will change that. There's a wonderful charity in America, maybe some of you heard about it, called Habitat for Humanity. Um, but it's a work that Christians are involved in where they build homes for people who are in need. And the way that people get onto the housing ladder is with sweat equity. They spend hours and hours building their own home, and then after they get their own home, also help someone else for for a while in building and getting their home. And we build a kind of challenge uh, to help others to have homes. Is that something we should be considering here in our time as Christians? I'll leave that to you to think about. There's a danger in all of this. A danger of entitlement. There's this fine line, isn't there, between I trust God, I trust his provision, I'm really going to rest and be grateful in all that he provides, and then moving beyond that to the place of I'm entitled as a Christian to have everything that I want. And that goes over into the super faith teachings and all the rest of it. There's a danger in a welfare society that we're entitled to certain things. The opposite is true of Christians in the right attitude toward their possessions. We're not entitled to. We trust a God who promises. And that's very different. Lastly, I want to talk very quickly about what I think is emotional daily bread. Now, in my counseling practice, I often talk about a 1 to 10 scale. So, if you think about 10 over here, is the best parents in the world. So, these parents love each other deeply. They love the Lord. They've got good, fulfilling jobs, and they are able to provide for what a child would need so that child could grow up in that home and fulfill their full potential. And over here at 1, on the other end of the scale, I'm not even living with the parents I was born with. Um, There's abuse, there's violence, there's drugs, and I am in neglect or in fear all of my waking life. So that's the 1 to 10 scale. Now, let's say I'm an average child with needs of 5. So I'm born with, with just the needs of five. I don't have extreme needs. I don't have disabilities. I don't have um, health problems. I just am a normal kid with needs of five. And I'm born into a home where the resources are seven. So I come as a child, a little girl, and I say, Mommy, Daddy, I need five. What happens? Parents look and they say, five, darling? You only need five. Have six. Yeah. Now, same child needs a five, born in a home where the resources are three. What happens? Little so boy comes and says, Mommy, Daddy, I need five. Five! What makes you think you're going to get five? You'll be lucky if you get two. Now, the difference is not the needs of the child. They're five. But the difference is how a child is made to feel about having a need. In the one home where the resources are seven, it's okay to have a need. And it gets met. And in the other home where the resources are less, it's not okay to have a need. And if you raise it, you're likely to get in trouble. Now, translate that to God for a moment. If we've grown up in a home where the resources are less than our needs, and we come to Christ, sometimes we come to worship, almost saying, Well, God, I'll try to be good and not to show that I have all these needs so that you like me. And I keep the lid on my love tank firmly closed, and I don't ask God for anything because I'm being a good Christian. Whereas Those who've grown up in a home where there are plenty of resources, we don't have any problem coming into God's presence taking the lid off our love tapes and say, God, this is really empty. Could you pour in, please? You should catch what I'm trying to say here. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we come to a Father who has enough. And he wants us to take the lid off the love takes of our hearts and just say, give, Lord, give me what I need. Without worrying about offending him, without worrying that somehow my needs are going to deplete his resources. We come to God like we might come with a, a liter jug for water to the ocean. Taking a liter of seawater out of the ocean is not going to diminish the ocean. And coming with our needs, no matter how great they are, will never diminish God's resources. So, give us this day our daily bread is meant to be done with a heart that trusts and knows that God longs to provide. Now, it's interesting, in one of the readings, we said, don't worry about tomorrow. Somebody said, remember how God appeared to Moses? He said, Moses said, what is your name? And he said, I am that I am. And I heard somebody say once, God is not an I was and he's not an I will be, he's an I am. And when we pray for tomorrow and worry about tomorrow, God is going to give us what we need for today. Tomorrow he'll give us what we need when it's tomorrow. Because he's an I am God, not an I will be God. We want security. God wants trust. We want safety. He wants faithfulness. We want guarantees. He wants commitment. We want to feel in charge. He wants to be in charge. May we pray in the way that He invites us to pray. I think, if you're like me, this challenge to look afresh at giving us our daily bread is much more than we've realized. May we never pray the same again. May we pray it with gratitude, with faith, and with confidence. Father, thank you for your provision for us in this time. May we never lose a heart of gratitude. May we have hearts of faith, but generous hearts that can give to others May we live in such a way that we set aside a bit from our own earnings for those who are in need. And may we live in a way that gives you praise for Jesus' sake. Amen.